We've been going through a uh, series, and like I said, we'll, uh, we'll try to finish early. If you have a fourth song, we'll let you do a fourth one if you're ready for a fourth. <laughs> Put you on, probably, you know, on the spot, you know. Uh, we've been going through a uh, small series because I think of where we're at. is living uh, victoriously in difficult times. If you recall, we were looking at different ones. Uh, we looked at difficult times are here. Uh, difficult times have been throughout Scripture. And uh, we also saw how Paul handled Scripture. We also saw how our difficult times. We saw how uh, that is something that we're going to experience. So many of you today are living under difficult times. I think of Bob and Marilyn. She almost lost her leg and all the things that she's gone through. And Rosemary and her health issues she's been going through. She and Bob. Uh, Jerry and Bonnie. You know, issues that they've been going through. You have uh, Brian and Claudine with, uh, with the little ones and all the bringing, bringing them up. So, uh, just the uh, going through that foster child and uh, program and trying to help them. Shonda and Merrill, and just the issues Merrill's had. A lot of you are going through difficult times, and I think uh, we're promised difficult times. You know, Jerry and Glenn with the little ones. So, with that being said, what advice can I give? You know, right now I'm not living in difficult times so far as me got in my personal life. But Scripture speaks a great deal about difficult times and living with it. So today I'd like to just look a little bit at what's your attitude and actions in difficult times. How many of us have a difficult time with our attitude in difficult times? So I want you to think about that. We'll look at some different Scriptures. Look over in Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> our attitude and our actions in uh, difficult times. You notice starting in verse 1 of Romans chapter 5. First point basically be to remain in place. Notice what it says in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, if any of you have ever taken a Bible class, they'll tell you anytime you see a therefore, you have to do what? See why it's therefore. So you have to go back to previous chapters. In chapter 1, you don't have to turn it, I'll give it to you, but Paul, remember in verse 16 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God, and the salvation both to the Jew and to the Greek. He then has to get, for, before you get someone saved, you have to get them lost. So from Romans 1, 17 through chapter 3, he's showing that everyone's a sinner. No one's righteous. That's why you have Romans 3, 23, all of sin and short of the glory of God. He gets to chapter 4, then he's thinking, he starts talking about it. And being saved by faith. And that's why if you go back to the previous chapter, you then notice he said everyone's a sinner. So notice in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Romans. For what does Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You're saved by faith. Quoting all the way from Genesis 15. And notice our good works in verse 4. To the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what's due. Our good works will never get us saved. Our good works will be oh God. In fact, when you look at Ephesians 2, we quote 8 and 9 real well, for by grace are you saved through faith, what? Not of yourselves, a gift to God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But how many of you can quote verse 10? We are the workmanship created in God for good works. So good works is what we owe God, whether it's singing or whatever it is, but it won't get us saved. But after we come to Christ by faith, we then are to do good works. So notice then you have back in chapter 5 then, you are processed. We are we come to know Christ by faith. 
And you'll notice that also in verse 8 and 9, for God demonstrated his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, which he and which we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So notice it's a process. You're saved by faith. But notice there's a product. Keep reading in verse 2. Through whom also we have obtained an introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope and glory of God. Notice in verse 1 it says you have peace. Why do we have peace? Because of Jesus Christ. Or you're an enemy with into me with God. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. Either one. But because we're have been saved by faith, we have peace, but also it tells us we have access then. And notice the other part in verse 2, we exalt. Now we do that. How many of you are exalting in the future glory we're going to have in God? Notice the next verse. What does it tell you? Verse 3. And not only this, we also exalt in our tribulations. How many of you are, we exalt in what we're going to get. How many of you are exalting in what we have if you're in tribulation? Exact same word. And it's interesting, it's in the perfect tense, which means you need to do it now and you need to do it continually. But notice what he says, exalt in. The word in is interesting, it means to remain in place. How many times are we like we're in tribulation and immediately we want to do what? I want out. I want out. So I want to look at, look at the predicament. Yeah, you have a choice. We can either choose to stay in it and exalt, or we can try to get out of it and do whatever. The reason that we can remain in place is because of what it produces. Notice each time you can put the word in, our tribulations, the only tribulations bring about, bringing would be carrying to its completion, perseverance. So if you stay in the tribulation, it brings perseverance. Verse 4, if you stay in the perseverance, what does it bring? Proven character. If you stay in the proven character to the end, it brings what? Hope. But how many of us want to jump out before we get that far? We have to stay in it. We already are amazed at Job, but then he persevered. We always hear people talking about the patience of Job. Scripture doesn't talk about the patience of Job. Look in James. What does it talk about? The perseverance of Job. Perseverance. So it's interesting when you look at it. Remain in place. I work at the refinery during the week and I have a lot of tanks, 47 tanks I take care of. And you look at it, small 500,000 gallon tanks up on uh, skids. So what do you think happens? You get all kinds of little critters that get underneath them, especially rabbits. Well, when you go up to the, to the uh, tank, what's the safest place for that rabbit to be? Underneath the tank. But when he sees you come up, what does it do? It takes off and runs out in the open. How many of us do the same thing? Where is the safest place for us to be? In his arms, in the place that he has placed us. Whatever that is. But most of us want to run. So think about it. The first one is remaining in place. Uh, Do you want to run or do you want to allow him to develop not that we like to go through tribulation, but it will bring about great development. How of you would like to go through your teenage years again? But it will bring about some development. A lot of things. 
Second thing you have, besides remaining in place, and by the way, Romans is written primarily to who? Christians that lived in Rome, right? And Rome is a Gentile. So notice he's writing to Gentile believers. So go to James chapter 1, and you'll notice in James 1, he's writing to Jewish believers, as well as obviously to all of us. So if you are whether you of any descent, Gentile or Jewish, you're going to have trials. And look in James chapter 1. So one is remain in place, which is never easy to do. Notice what he tells you. The reason I say that to Jews, you can find that in verse 1. He's writing to the 12 tribes who are dispersed. Notice what he tells you is verse 2. Consider all joy. Consider is an aorist imperative, which means it's a command. All joy is emphatic. So when we get in trials, we're supposed to do what? Rejoice. That's the second one. How many of us are rejoicing in our difficulties? That is a command for a Christian. Rejoice in the difficult. Why can we? Is because of what it will produce, which we'll see in a minute. So one is our decision. Do I want to rejoice or complain? And most of us do what? I want patience, Lord, and I want it when? I'm in this difficulty and I want it what? Out. Best we, the best thing we can do is learn the process, then we can accept it. Notice the second thing it says, my brethren... When you encounter various trials. Notice the second thing. You're destined. How many of us are going to have trials? Every one of them. But notice it says various. So your trial may be different than my trial. They're all going to be different because we're all being developed to be, according to Romans 8, to the glory of God into His image. He's developing us, conforming us to the image of Christ. But he takes us in different paths for different things to get us there. Some of us wish he took the path they took somebody else on. He knows he's omniscient. He takes us the way he believes is right for where we're at and what he's trying to develop. And the best thing we can do is to find out what that is and work with it. So notice it's a, a decision of whether we have joy. Destiny is for every one of us. But the third one is it's different. But notice in verse 3 and 4, why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance, again that's a present imperative, which command all of us, have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Meaning fully developed. Not that we're going to ever be perfect beside of heaven, but you're going to become a mature believer. How many of you find issues that you used to get so upset about, but as you walk to the Lord, it's like, well, that's not something minor. And you, how many of you majored on the minors and you minored on the majors when you were young? And now you look at it, man, why do you get so upset about that? It's here today, it's gone tomorrow, what's the big deal? But then we have a new major in our lives that we worry about. But notice what you have, I think it's interesting. Rejoice in the difficulty. We're all going to have them. They're all going to be different. But we rejoice because of what it develops. You're having football practice and all that's going on with these students and how many of you think they just love going out today in 103 degrees, putting on pads and go and go sweat and do all that? Why do they do it? Because of the development and where they hope to be and what they hope to do. We can learn a lot from them too. They don't like being in the heat, 
but it's developing them. So when they get to the fourth quarter of a tight game, they're ready for it. We get to it, same thing, we're ready for it. So think about it. Is my focus on difficulty or on the destiny? And what is most of the time we focus on what? You know, most of us have had a lot of difficulties, and I see every one of you here surviving. You'll survive this too with his help. So notice that when you remain in place, rejoice in difficulty. Notice in verse 5, what's the next thing you do? You request assistance. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. <clears throat> any of you are wonder how you're going to get through it? I think if we're intelligent, we do. But what we usually do is, when all else fails, what? How much difficulty do we have because we don't make it the first thing? So notice then you have, I think it's interesting, the direction we need to ask the Lord for help. But notice what we shouldn't be doing. End of verse 5 and so on. Let him ask. God gives <clears throat> to all men generously, without reproach, and it will be given to him. So God, does God promise to give you wisdom on how to handle the trial? He promises you the wisdom here. But what we do is notice the next one. But let him ask in what? Faith. Without any doubting, for one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. It's interesting. It's a present imperative, which means you and I are commanded to do it. But when it talks about the wind and sea being driven and tossed, that's a present passive, which means it's being tossed by something else, which is very true. How many of us are being tossed to and fro by something else? You and I can have control of it. Notice it says, let this man not expect to receive anything. So how many of us pray, but then we have plan B? Isn't that what Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says? Trust in the Lord with some of your ways, right? All your ways? Then what does it say? In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and then He will what? Take a lot of us only give him part of our ways and we only give him part of the things. How many of us have different rooms of our house that we won't allow him in? So I think it's interesting when you look at it, the directions that you have, we have to realize, like you said, to ask him, but not be double-minded. And I'm also just amazed when I look in Judges 6 to Judges 8 when it looks at Gideon. You know, Gideon called him and he says, no, I can't do it. You're not with this country. You're, you've forsaken us. Look at what's going on. Very similar to our country, what's going on. And how many people was it Gideon up against? 135,000. And how many people did he have in his army? 32,000. God says there's too many. I don't like four to one odds, especially when they have better weapons. So he says what? Tell them any way you're scared can go home. Well, how many of you would be scared? So how many leave? 22,000. That's 10. That's 10. That means one soldier versus 13 and a half soldiers with better weapons. God says too many. Now, how many of you, if you were Gideon right about now, would be saying, Lord, I, I'm, something's not coming through clear. I mean, he then says, tell them to go drink, right? And after they drank, and only how many passed the test? 300. 
Now, don't you love those odds? 300 versus 135,000. God says, I like the odds. Now, I'm going to get credit. But if you look at it, they put their, they broke into three groups, 100 groups each, and they have the candle inside the pot, and obviously they did that, so when they broke them all, the enemy is surrounded and sees all this light, and the enemy is going to assume there's this massive army. A great plan, all they had was what kind of weapons did they have? And obviously the enemy turns on itself and kills themselves, and Israel wins. Because they followed whose plan? You have the same thing. What's the intelligence of marching around Jericho? March around, go home. March around, go home. March around seven times. I mean, that, you know, I'm sure when they're inside, they're getting a lot more confidence each day you march around and leave. But God knows. Also, you ever notice they went to a hard city rather than an easy city to begin with, didn't follow a plan that was normal, and then they also went to the center of the Israel. Now you have enemies on the north and south of you. That's what God told them to do. It took them five years to conquer it too, if you look at it. So it's just amazing when you look at it. God has different plans than what we have. So we have to look at it. But we have to then ask Him, don't we? And when He tells us, what do we do? Nope, nope, don't like that plan. Lord, what's plan B? How many of us do that? Okay, so don't, you know, we need to ask for God's direction first, and then we need to follow what He tells us. And we have a lot of believers that tell you don't follow that plan. Some of the most difficult things you'll have is when the Lord gives you a plan, you will not have support often from other believers. Okay, so you have to remain in place. Uh, rejoice in the difficulty because of what it produces. The third one is to request assistance. Now, we won't go down to it, but it's interesting when you get from 13 down to... Actually, let's look at 12 for just a minute when we look at the uh, what you get. Why persevere? Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you love him, you'll persevere with him, and he promises you the crown of life. I think it's probably called the crown of life, because if you persevere to the end, quite often it's going to be death. You look at it. That's interesting in verse, we won't look at it, 13 to 16, it starts talking about temptations. You realize in the Greek language, trial and temptation is the same word. Word trial and temptation is the exact same Greek word. So why in the English text do we have trial in the first 12 verses and temptation in these next verses? The difference is because trial comes from God or allows you to be in it for your development. A temptation is in your life to bring about destruction and destroy you. What's the purpose of each one? One's to develop, and one is to bring you down or destroy you. Let's look at the third, uh, fourth thing. Look over in 1 Corinthians 10. You know the uh, passage well. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Notice what does it say? No temptation is overtaking you, but such is common to man. How many of us are going to have temptations? Every one of us. That's the second thing. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. 
you have a companion. When you're in the temptation or trial and you don't know which one it is, you have a companion that's there with you. And notice it says he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. How many of you ever feel like it's too much? It's not too much with him if you allow him to help you. He also provides a way of escape. I'll never forget when I taught high school. That's been uh, 40 years ago. I was teaching high school, and I had a young lady. My wife had her as well. She came up, and she said, I, I, you know, it, it's just in the, my DNA. I can't do anything about it. My grandmother had to get married. Uh, my mother had to get married to have me. And so it's just my DNA. I, I just can't control it. it, it it's just what's going to happen. No. It's not in your DNA. That's a temptation, and you can withstand it, you can follow it, you can do what the Lord tells you to do. But don't be trying to blame it in justifying what you're doing or what you want to do. And so I think it's important that we can easily do that and give in. There's a lot of things we can do if we have temptation or anything else, too, is, uh, for instance, if you're on a diet, I love cake, you can put it in the house, I'll leave it alone. I can have a piece, but if you put ice cream or pie or cookies, so if I want to go on a diet, I better see to it what? They're not in the house. I'm fine if they're not in the house, but when they're in the house, that's another story. Same thing for you and I. We know what each one of us has different things that tempt us, then we need to avoid those things. Don't bring them in, or don't go by and say, well, I wonder if the deli, or I wonder if the bakery has anything to of course they have things. Don't, if you're you know, on a diet, don't go by. So notice you have the road map, and I think it's important for us with temptations and trials being commonplace. Do I give in and regret? Or do I rely on Christ and His assistance to guide me out? I'll never forget when I climbed Pikes Peak. Uh, that's been 50 years ago. I had the privilege of uh, climbing Pikes Peak with four other guys. And we followed everything perfect. When we got there, it was a stress camp, and they said, uh, we aren't going to show you how to get there. We'll just follow you. We're the guides, but we're just going to follow you. You guys find your own way to the top. Here's a map, because you can't see Pikes Peak with all the other hikes when it peaks around it. Here's a topographical map. So you look at it, and you read the terrain. If you read the terrain, the easiest way is the long way. You go from one peak to another, and you just keep... So we did all that just fine until we saw Pikes Peak in the, right in the distance and what happened. We threw away the map and we went straight forward. Well, we, what we couldn't see is this massive valley. So we descended with the 50, you know, 50 pound pack and now you have this final descent to go up to the top. Wasn't intelligent. Wasn't intelligent. You get that close and you throw away the map and now what? And they had an agreement with all of us that if anyone quit, nobody could go any further. We had one guy say, I'm not going anymore. I quit. So we're all having to sit down there trying to encourage him to go and do other stuff. If you've ever been to Pikes Peak, between the tram and between the road, we went right up in between. That's when I had a mountain goat came out from path in front of me. It kind of woke me up a little bit. But, uh, how did we get to the top? We had to take that young man's pack and divide it among the three of us. So he had no pack and we had more. Then he would go. And who got to the top first? He did. He liked to remind us that he got to the top first. <laughs> but we all made it. 
But I think it's important how many times we throw away the map when we see it and we don't think we need it anymore. And I can do it on my own and then we get in trouble. You think about it. So here you have the, we need to remain in place. Why? Because of what it produces. We need to rejoice. Why? Because of what it produces. I think it's important we have a road map. If we follow Christ, He'll get us through it. Even when we don't see how we're going to get through it. You also, I think it's interesting when you look at the next one. Look over at Hebrews 12. It's one of my favorite passages. In fact, when you all asked me to come, how many of you remember how many how long ago it's been since you asked me to come? I came one Sunday, you remember? I was mowing yards full time, and you all... 14, 16. It was actually 21 years ago. You asked me to come one Sunday, and I said, I've never really preached before. I'll come one Sunday to help you out, and... You uh, haven't found anybody since. Just keep asking me to keep coming back. And this was the sermon I gave you. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look in verse 1 and 2. We know the great, great chapter before, the how to do it. How do you do it? Hebrews 11. That's why he says, notice in verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Who's he speaking about? Therefore, the previous chapter. Look at all those great men and women of Scripture and all the trials that they went through. And why you have them cut in sunder, which would have been Isaiah, and some of the different things that those men and women went through. But they made it. And the reason I think it's important that they made it, if you remember, is because of verse 6 of chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to what? To please Him. For he who comes must, to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. All those men had difficult times. How would you like to be Noah? You're building an ark. How long does it take you to build it? 120 years. You're building an ark for what? For rain. And you're preaching, according to Peter, you're preaching to all the multitude who never come to know him. And you're preaching and say rain's coming and it has never rained on the earth this whole time. So I'm going to build an ark for rain that has never occurred for a flood that has never occurred like this. Is that a walk of faith? Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child. Fifteen years later, no child. How many of you are going to have that kind of faith? So every one of those men and women walked by faith. So the reason I mention that is if they could do it and they told us how to do it, can we do it? We can do it. Notice the second thing. It says, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Everyone is different. We all have different weights. If you're going to run a race, how many of you want, in this, when you get to a little bit further, uh, the word for race in verse 1 is, what Greek word do you think? What English word do you think comes from race? This Greek word. A-G-O-N-A. Agony. So what kind of race is it? It's a marathon. Life is a marathon. But notice it says every encumbrance. So each one of us is going to have different weights. I'll never forget in 1982 I ran the uh, Tulsa Run. I've told you this before. In front of me was Fort Seal and an Army man. They wore Army boots. And they were sounding off. Now that's pretty discouraging when you're running behind them. 
and they're wearing army boots and signing off in front of you and you're running just under 10 miles. You want to get wore out, just run behind somebody who's wearing all that stuff. That'll wear you out. What could those men have done if they didn't have army boots on? If they didn't have on sounding off? But how many of us are doing the same thing? Notice it tells us to take it off, not somebody else. So notice that we have to re- remember our relatives, we remove the weights. Notice the next thing it tells us. And the sin, which so easily entangles us. In the book of Hebrews, the sin is unbelief. You know what God wants you to do, but you don't do it. The sin, unbelief. Do the children of Israel know what God was wanting them to do when they're going in the wilderness? And they constantly had disbelief. He led them the way He was leading them. He wasn't a direct route, but He tested them ten times and they failed how many times? All ten. Not all of them. Caleb, Joshua, so on didn't, but the others did. How many of us have this entangled that we need to reject it to one of unbelief? I can't do that. That's what Moses said in Exodus 3, wasn't it? That's what Caleb said. Or not Caleb, that's what Gideon said. So I think it's important. Notice then it tells you the fourth thing. Let us run the race that's set before us with endurance. Run relentlessly. That's an agony. It's a long race. I'll never forget running in another race over in McClure Park. It was, it was hilarious. My older brother asked if I'd run the race with him, so we went over to run it. And when we're running the race, it's amazing how fast. Because when you first part a quarter of a mile or half a mile, you're in front of everybody. How fast do you think everybody runs then? Oh, you have all family and friends, and everybody takes off running real fast. We had one person in front of us, right in front of the sands, right towards the end. He, quote, grabs his hamstring and starts hobbling. Oh, he pulled a hamstring. Have any of you ever pulled a hamstring? Okay, then you'll find this humorous. As we run the entire race and we come back to the finish line, the long stretch, guess who happens to jump back in the race? The same individual. His hamstring was miraculously healed and he takes off sprinting all the way. There's no way that you do that if you have a pulled hamstring. But it's amazing when you think about it. But how many times do we do that as believers? We jump in, we jump out, we jump in. We have to run relentlessly the race that is set before us. The object is for us, according to 1 Corinthians 9, is to win by winning according to your ability. God judges us by our ability, not by somebody else's. Notice the last thing it says, and I think it's really hard to do too, besides running relentlessly, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and set down at the right hand of the throne. It's interesting what you have there restrict our vision. How of us, what caused Peter to start sinking? Took his eyes off of Jesus. What happened to Peter in John 21? When he's told he's going to experience the death he did not want. What's his very next question? What about John? And what did Jesus say? Don't worry about John, you follow me. The trouble with so many of us, we don't have our eyes on Jesus. We have our eyes on other people and on our circumstances. And that'll get us in trouble every time. Because why did God bless them? Why is God doing this? Why is God doing that? Remember, He's trying to develop us. And He knows. 
And for a lot of us, he can't trust us with money or whatever. You know? If he could, he would have given us the resources or whatever. Uh, I think it would be very difficult to be a millionaire and how to know what to do and how to handle your money because you have to, it's all, obviously it's his money, you got to handle it accordingly. It also tells you to recall Christ's sufferings in verse 3 and don't lose heart. Any of us ever suffered like Christ? No. Not even close. According to Scripture, beaten beyond recognition. I mean, tremendous suffering. And notice it said he set his face toward Jerusalem and he told them what was going to happen. He told them before he ever got there. And he did it because he loved us. So you think about it. Did our relatives make it? Do they tell us how to make it? Can we make it? Just think about it. I need to remain in place. Stay in it because of what it'll develop. I never forget my son when he was running cross country and track for wasn't doing well this junior year, end of the junior year, and was going to quit. I said, No, you don't. Or start of the senior year, I said, No, you don't quit. Finish it out. Because he was able to finish it out, he got a scholarship to go to college. What would have happened if he quit? Because he overworked everyone, didn't have the ability, when he got to college, the college coach recognized after one year, it comes to Will, and he says, uh, you don't have the ability. You've already maxed out. You can't get any better. Now, how would you feel about that time? Now they're all running the same as what you've been running and why they're improving. But because of it, if you'll be my manager, I'll let you stay on scholarship. I can tell Will, you're in a double major, almost a triple major you got too much studies consider it a blessing you're not running 100 miles a week and being exhausted that's the way of God helping you but it's also humbling when you're a manager of the people you used to run with but God took care of and obviously helped I think it's true for all of us so what do I do I think it's hopeless but do I have a helper that will help me through it a lot of times he wants to get us where it's hopeless because we only have one person to turn to Jesus. Was David, was he uh, anointed king? Did he become king right away? No. How many years was he being chased by Saul before he finally became king? How much scripture did he write in the book of Psalms while he was running? A great deal.